Welcome to True Crime Daily. Even though the stories you'll hear are short, they are very much intended for an adult audience. The stories you'll hear cover some very serious subject matter, and they contain content that will be alarming for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In late May of 2010, Orange County was in the news, but not for its idyllic sunsets on the beach, but for the murder of Julie Kiyabishi. 911 receives a frantic call from a father who's just discovered Julie's body in his son's apartment. His son Sam Hare, an army veteran, was nowhere to be found. When the police arrive at Sam's apartment, things for them begin to fall into place fairly quickly. This is clearly a domestic violence incident that's resulted in murder. The 23-year-old dancer Julie is slumped over on the bed with a gunshot wound in the back of her head, written in permanent marker on the back of her shirt is fuck you. Police begin to piece together the events that led up to Julie's murder. Her bag is in the apartment, her phone is still there. Text messages between her and Sam show the two clearly had some type of relationship. Sam had texted her late the night before, telling her he needed someone to talk to, telling her that he was very upset and asking her to come over alone. She quickly responded that of course she would be there for him. Police obviously became fixated on tracking down Sam. During his interview, Sam's father pleaded with police. There was no way his son could have done something like this. But police ran out of people quick to question, trying to fill in the gaps. Just what was the relationship between Sam and Julie? Was this some type of love triangle gone bad? Who were the messages written on Julie's back for? With his military history and a record, Eight years earlier, Sam had been arrested but not convicted of murder. It became clear, quick, to police this man had murdered Julie and he was now on the run. Police were hitting dead end after dead end. The man they were tracking was a trained military man. If he wanted to kill and then disappear, he had the training to do so. When things were looking bleak for police, they were thrown a lifeline. Sam's bank account had been accessed, not far from his apartment in Long Beach. They quickly pulled the ATM surveillance footage, expecting to see Sam withdrawing the money. It's not Sam at the ATM. Quickly after, there's another swipe of his card, now at a local pizza shop. Police are quick to dispatch, quick enough to intercept the delivery driver with the pizza. Instead of the pizza guy knocking on the door, it's police, expecting to find Sam hiding out. Again, it's not Sam, it's 16-year-old Wesley, Police quickly rule out Wesley as a suspect in Julie's murder, and they ask the one important question, how are you in possession of Sam Hare's bank card? Police are frustrated to find out that Wesley doesn't know Sam at all. Sam's bank card was given to him by someone police were not familiar with at that point, Daniel Wozniak. Daniel Wozniak was an actor mostly in local plays, out in California hunting down his big break. But by all accounts, he was as far away from success in Hollywood as one could be. He was drowning in debt and scrambling to put together enough money to pay for his wedding and honeymoon for him and his actress fiance, Rachel Buffett. As it turns out, Sam and Daniel are neighbours, friends even, according to Daniel. Building on their theory, police are convinced now that Daniel was in cahoots with Sam, most likely hiding him or helped him in escaping. 48 hours out from Daniel's wedding, Police bust in on Daniel's bachelor party and they arrest him. 
During questioning, Daniel explains the plan to police, not the plan to murder Julie. He had nothing to do with that, he told them. His part was only to help Sam in defrauding his bank. From his time with the military, Sam had saved roughly $62,000. He would hand over his bank card. Daniel and Wesley would withdraw the cash and Sam would report this as a victim of theft. Before the two were able to put the plan in place though, Daniel tells police that Sam had knocked on the door early in the morning after Julie's murder. He was there to confess. Sam had been depressed, he'd been drinking and taking drugs. He'd asked Julie for sex and he was denied, which resulted in her murder. So Daniel says, Police don't know exactly what's going on here, but there's a strong feeling in the interrogation room that this guy might not be telling the whole truth. To motivate Wozniak with fear, police tell him they'll need a DNA sample of his. This is where his story quickly changes. He first tells police that actually, he might have been in Sam's apartment recently, so they might find some of his DNA. Police continue to push him, and the story changes again. Now it's, okay, yes, Sam came over the night it happened, and I followed him back to the apartment, and I saw Julie's body. Police arrested Wozniak on the spot as an accessory to murder, and now they really apply the pressure. It becomes obvious that improv is not a talent of the local theatre actor. Police bluff, and they begin asking, why is his DNA matching DNA found on Julie's body? At this point, they have no way of knowing if that's true. Wozniak says he stood over the body, trying to explain his DNA being there, but he never touched her. He tells police he saw two bullet holes. This is the aha moment for police, because they know there was no way that he would have seen the two gunshots. Wozniak is taken back to his cell after him and police reach a stalemate. From his cell, he calls his soon-to-be wife, Rachel, in a call that police record. She tells him two things. Firstly, her mother is cancelling the wedding. And secondly, apparently Tim Wozniak, Daniel's brother, has some evidence relating to the murder. Wozniak begs her to not let him give up that evidence and finally proclaims, I'm doomed. Rachel herself faces the choice of being arrested for the accessory to murder charge or to allow Tim, the brother, to hand over the evidence. But before she makes that decision, Wozniak demands an audience with the detectives again, where he very calmly explains that he was responsible for Julie's murder. And as a surprise to police, he was also responsible for Sam's murder. How, what, where, and why? Wozniak tells police his motivation was purely money. In talking, he became aware that Sam had $60,000 in savings and Wozniak himself was in severe debt and struggling. He wanted that money. He asked Sam to come along to the theatre to help move some boxes in the attic. Sam was happy to help a friend out. But while he had his back turned, he was shot in the head. The first shot didn't kill him and he begged for help. Police asked Wozniak what he did next and he replied calmly, I reloaded and I shot him again. The afternoon of Sam's murder, Wozniak was on stage performing in one of those local theatre productions. He followed that up with a cast and crew party, plenty of happy snaps taken, of the smiling and the laughing Daniel Wozniak. He followed up the party by heading back to Sam's apartment and inviting Julie over. Julie's murder was purely to frame Sam. Sam murders Julie, Sam flees, 
Sam's disappearance explained, as far as Wozniak was concerned. The day after Sam and Julie's murder, Wozniak went back to where he'd left Sam's body in the attic. He cut off his hands and head and threw them into the bushes at a park. Daniel Wozniak believed he was going to act his way out of this from the beginning. He believed that he'd planned the perfect way to get his hands on that cash. Instead, police would have this case wrapped up in under a week. The evidence that he was worried about his brother having was just about everything police needed to go along with Wozniak's confession. There was a bag filled with Sam's financial records, wallet, passport and house keys. Wozniak had trusted his brother to get rid of that evidence. He'd done so by throwing the bag over the back fence at their parents' house. When he went to trial, it took the jury only an hour to deliberate on Wozniak's fate. He's currently waiting on death row.